Welcome to the Cybersecurity Matters podcast, a series of interviews with key leaders throughout the industry, all brought to you by the cybersecurity team at NUCO, a specialist global recruitment and executive search firm. Welcome to the Security Matters podcast. Your host today and me, Jake Sparks, heading up the cybersecurity division here at NUCO, and my colleague, Harry Baldwin. And we're delighted today to be joined by Dr. Rebecca Wynn. Thank you. Nice to be here. Lovely to have you. An experienced global CISO and privacy expert, often named as one of the top women in cybersecurity, Dr. Wynn has led large security teams in both investment and medical sectors and is currently consulting enterprise clients on their security strategy. Uh, amongst others, she's also on the advisory board for CyberWire and has her own podcast. Surely there's not enough hours in the day. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wish we had just a few more. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Dr. Wynn. Oh, thank you very much. Um, pleasure and just to remind everybody, you can follow me on LinkedIn. I'm always constantly posting things there, so please follow me on LinkedIn. Excellent, excellent. Please do. Uh, Dr. Rebecca Wynn. So to get us started, we always love to ask people the same thing. How did you first get into the cybersecurity industry? It was interesting when I first took my first computer class and things along those lines, didn't really know what it was. I was actually a chemistry major for years. I thought I was going to actually oh, pre-vet. And it was one of my general educational requirements. Then I realized that I couldn't really handle looking at blood with the animals. It was really putting them down and stuff like that. That really got to me. So I actually mm. to photography. Um, did Sports Illustrated, stuff along those lines. Again, you go and did really hawk quite a bit. And then it was when I actually was going back in my, my double MBA that I realized that really information security systems was something more of my love. But then wow. I actually, with the double MBA, right when I was got marked with MBAs. And so I actually went into the financial sector. I was number one for Mutual of Omaha, New England Financial. Found out that I was actually looking and saying, hey, how can you self-fund this? How can we do a lot of these cool things and, and stretching your dollars? It was before it was in vogue to do that. And I actually was creating a lot of algorithms and programs and stuff like that to help track companies doing it. And then I was thinking about privacy and things along those lines before it was a thing or I knew it was a thing. Yeah, I understand. I um, went back to university because I was like, you know, life is too short to be doing what you don't really truly love, even though it was number one in the nation for those companies. And that's how I got my IT degree. And people ask me, well, why do you have a BS, not a master's? Didn't think about it. I still did it in two years, but I didn't mm -hmm. think at the time. Um, I'm a person, the more you know, the more you know, you don't know, so, so teach me. So I don't always pay attention if that's a doctorate or if that's a master's, if that's a BS or, or whatever. I, I don't always pay attention that way. And that's why people go, you have a lot of, you have a lot of bachelor's, a lot of master's, a lot of you know, doctorates of some sorts and certificates. That's the reason why. I'm just a constant learner along those lines. But Interesting. That's how I actually got started then. And then I actually went to programming. Um, semiconductor company um, went ahead and, and I did a lot of good things on tablets and tablets first came out where they could actually build wow. semiconductors on the tablets going out to the clients and then being able to look at inventory and how we're going to go ahead and um, synergize costs and zones along those lines. Mm. Um, and so that really just got me into secure coding um, retail sector I did for a big company here in the United States and also in Canada. And I said, they were, that's when they were actually going and looking at stock and stuff like that by hand. They write everything by hand. Then they would go ahead and fax it into the office. The office then would have to transcribe it. And I'm like, guys, this whole process flow should be automated. So I created some of the very first programs along those lines. I have like four or wow. five of them. I don't make a dime on them. If anybody asks, I don't make a dime on them. They only make a whole mm. lot of um, but that's how I got more on secure coding and then it led me to my first information security officer job, which was in banking. 
Um, wow. They allowed me to be with the government, um, being a lead assessor around the world um, for a good six to eight years. Um, that was a total engineering information system security. So the base realignment around the world, all of our kind of stuff, medical treatment facilities, got my teeth worked really well that way. And then I just, you know, kept going from there. Um, right. So I have a senior principal security engineer. I'm a, a security architect, analyst, and everything else. And people are like, why are you so broad? It's one, it's because all those jobs love me to be broad. And I have a, a big, deep um, wanting to learn more, understand more. And so to get to root causes is kind of natural for me. So I just tell people that little crooked road. Yeah. Here, and if you think that you're on a crooked road, it's okay. You know, you're one of my tribe. We're all yeah, interesting. It's it's fascinating. Information security is an interesting one because it's never the kind of with the best well in the world. It's never the kind of thing that people say at school they want to do, right? Um, so it's interesting the different kind of circuitous routes that people take into the profession, and interesting to hear the variety, right? The 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 blend of disciplines that actually working in security combines for you. Yeah, there's only very few people I've even interviewed who've actually come from a cybersecurity quote unquote background. It wasn't in vogue. And I do think when you come from a variety of backgrounds I and mean, you've had multiple different jobs, even, I do think at times that makes you better security practitioner and things along those lines. Mm. I, to be honest with you, when people are coming directly out of school and I have a degree in cybersecurity, I would tell you that those are the ones that have been more of a challenge to work with, or yeah. I have a degree in leadership. I don't even know what that means, to be honest with mm. you, I be in leadership. I think, unfortunately, as we try to educate people in the field to bring them forward, that's a false number because it is, I tell people I have a flat forehead right now. I got wrinkles in my forehead um, because, you know, I, we come from a school of hard knocks Yeah, um, and, and we learn from the trenches. And I do think that that's one thing that's little missing right now in the education come back is people come with a false sense of what their capabilities are in mm -hmm. some of the things in our field. Yeah. Just in the trenches and you have to learn them. That's, that's, you can't read about them. Um, you do read about them and learn from people's past, past, I wouldn't say mistakes, but past learnings. Mm. When you're in that first incident, you're in that first major thing, that's that gut check, and that's where things are going to come to. It's a doing, it. right? It's something yeah, you, you have to be there. Than just you yeah, quite interesting. And we've got some questions on leadership uh, um, later on. Uh, thank you. Um, looking back, who or what has most inspired you in your career? Well, it's been a variety of people um, in a variety of scenarios. I would just say that probably the biggest cheerleader I've ever had in my life has been my mom. And my mom is unfortunately no longer with us. I know I'll see her again. But she was one who always believed me regardless. Um, so I, you know, for my career, it's been that, you know, picking yourself back up at the, the bootstraps. Um, yeah. I've had hard knocks in my life. I, I've had major injuries where, you know, didn't think I was even going to be able to go ahead and recover from the injuries. Didn't think I was going to be able to work again, all that other kind of stuff in my life. But it was my mom who always had that faith in me. Mm. Um, and it's going to be okay. Regardless of what's happened, you're yeah. going to be okay. And then the, the, the few people I do have around me um, have always been, you're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We believe in you. But if you talk about in the field, um, the bottom, this bottom one here, that is Dr. Ann Kabukian. Dr. Ann Kabukian is the queen, the mother of privacy. Um, you don't think GDPR, CCPA, all that kind of stuff. Privacy by design is Dr. Ann Kabukian. Dr. Ann Kabukian. Could you I'm, say the name? I'm sorry. Could you say the name? Dr. Also? Ann Kabukian. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Interesting. Ann Kabukian. 
So when we first met, we we were like a tribe very quickly. And she spoke on privacy and privacy by design and privacy by default and stuff like that. And we realized how much we synergized real quickly. Uh, that's an ambassadorship um, program on her. She was um, the commissioner of privacy over Ontario up in Canada. Again, worldwide, smart cities, all that stuff, all used Dr. Anne. Her and I have been friends over a number of years like that. Teresa Payton, the first female White House um, CIO. Um, Terry um, Gravestein, who is now the, the chief um, technical controls officer over at City. She used to be inspector general for a House of Representative, Jim Roth. Um, wow. The um, the CISO, uh, Mass Mutual, um, Aetna, a plethora of people. Those are, those are people who I can go to at any point in time. But the one thing I tell people, it's a small world. So I mentor other people and our people mentor me. I think one of the good things is get your ego to the side and know that, hey, Houston, I say Houston because rockets take off in Houston. Mm -hmm. Something seems to be amiss. Something doesn't seem to be quite right here. Let me chit chat with you. And I would tell you the one person I keep closest to me as kind of like a friend mentor, she's the one who said, you know what? Like the other day I had to read a writing I was going to post. And she's like, you know what? It's not your best writing. You mm -hmm. need people around you who will be brave enough, love you enough, who will say, you know what? Nope. Yeah. Anyway whether it's, it's something in your personal life or something in your professional life. And so those people I have around me who can tell me those can encourage me, but also go ahead and be upfront and honest with me, but then support yeah. me to do the right thing to get out of it. It's not only about telling somebody, Hey, maybe this isn't your best work. Maybe you got yourself in a bad job situation, but I believe in you and let's look at the lessons learned and let's move you forward. Yeah, absolutely. Thing. Those are the type of people who I like to put around me. So it's a little long answer. Yeah. You yeah. Have more than one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's amazing how strong the faith of a parent is, isn't it? And, and also, you know, how important having people who can give you, you that kind of honest, honest feedback is. And I, I want to, I'm very keen to unpack a bit more about that mentoring piece as well um, later on. Um, uh, but, but, but now looking at um, the healthcare, jumping a little bit into, into looking at the healthcare sector, because I know, of course, that you were a, a CISO um, within that. What can you tell us about the challenges that the, the healthcare uh, sector in particular faces from a security perspective and how in particular um, were there was it stretched during COVID? Well, that's a great question and I have been in direct so uh, direct um, health care is directly as medical facilities and all that three times um, if you talk about health care and enabled technology um, two times along the size two so there's is that technical component. I think one of the biggest challenges I think that are facing them holistically is when you go to need to get more skill sets is getting people who can do analytical thinking. Yeah, it's, quite. You know, no one document being implemented, but it has to be measured and managed. And one of the things mm -hmm. that we was going in 2020, one of the big things that I had is I had to take, um, you know, 10,000 workforce overnight um, around the world. And, and people like that's wow. not a big deal. But it's different if it's the United States or it might be over in Europe and stuff like that, where you go ahead and you have some infrastructure that's in place to protect you. You have the telcos, ISPs and stuff like that that protect us, um, things along the line. But when you talk about what do you do when you're in the Philippines? What do you do when you're in Brazil? What do you do when you're in India? What do you do when you're in some of these other places, Nicaragua and things like that? And, and people might be, um, maybe normally when they had to work, like in India, a lot of times they go into the city, they're actually bust into a bigger building that they work, but now they're remote or maybe they go back to their, their native lands and stuff like that. And I mean native, I mean native where they live, where maybe they're sharing a house with six people or eight people and stuff like that. So what does it look like? 
What does privacy by design look like? What does PCI, so private um, payment card industry, look like? Because now I have 10,000 satellite offices. Now mm. certificates are really blown out. And I had talked to um, PCI students and stuff like that about that. I'm like, guys, really our certificates are invalidated. When you talk about HIPAA, it's the same thing. You talk about calls and operations. How are you protecting people that you're taking the sensitive information now mm. that we're remote? People forgot about that. And I was able to do that mindfully with the company overnight. One of the things I did is I looked at business continuity, disaster recovery, incident response. I looked at our cyber liability insurance. I went ahead and I, I met with the, the outside um, certification organizations and I brought to their attention. There's high trust in them. Like really, everything that we've been certified is actually obliterated because I'm not, I can't hold that architecture any longer. So what will the architecture? look like now and what safeguards can I put in place now and then when I actually took our top 15 20 by revenue clients and I reached out to them reached out to CIOs CTOs CISOs customer support whoever and I said we want to have a one-on-one meeting with you because I want to walk you through what that looks like today yeah Um, what I did is I had a a a CIO come with us and then I actually had the best customer support person speaking as well too because you know how we can handle the call volumes and things along those lines walking them through that, then going ahead and working with legal to work with an addendum about this is the amount of risk that then for us to be able to even help your business stay alive. Yeah, yeah, quite. It's additional risk because our contracts are not invalidated. And it's interesting how many of the big, you know, Fortune 100, 500 companies went in and were going, our whole team didn't think of that holistically the way you thought through that, Rebecca. Can you go Mm. now, can you go ahead and meet with our team to walk them through that? Because- Mm. You, know, you very quickly were able to come with a strategic plan, technical plan, operational plan to do that. And, and again, someone has to think about that strategy and these areas that are going to be affected and then what's going to be on their heart and how they're going to have to answer it to other people. Someone needs to be able to set up that strategy so then you can go ahead and call some other people up to do more of the deep dives operationally and tactically. And I was able to do that very, very effectively. I would just tell you, I did not sleep, it seemed like, for like 18 months. Um, yeah. During that COVID period because of that, because when you're running 24-hour operations, stuff like that end up being mm. where it seemed like seven days a week, I constantly had to be on wow. When we talk about insomnia and stuff like that, we were talking offline about doing that. I think I actually slept from like 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. And then I would sleep maybe from like 3 a.m. to maybe 6 a.m. just because of operations around the world. And then every time I turned around, I was doing another mm. PCI audit or HIPAA audit or SOC 2 audit or ISO audit. Yeah. Consistent wow. along those lines as well too and then i'm a, a person who want to be like i want to be in the room because it's we have to sign off um yeah. it's just like that and i want to make sure i understood what we said what was the gaps what was the controls we get place to go ahead and mitigation so if we went ahead and we had a 45 or 65 hour audit yeah rebecca was in every one of those meetings because let's Gosh. face it i have to sign the dot and that's the other thing when you talk about what was the change i think you do see some fallout right now from still from there where you had CISOs and, and leaders like that who left those meetings up to other members of the team and they didn't realize the additional residual risk that they were accepting. Mm-hmm. They weren't in, in the room. And that's the one thing I still think that is a negative today where you might have great directors and senior directors and stuff along those lines on your pipeline. But one thing I do notice consistently is them not telling you the real information that you need to, to know what's your blast radius is in the organization and what's the, the, the risk. It's all about managing risk. And that's the mm. one thing I still see from a younger generation, not knowing how to really communicate that, that risk and things along those lines. And that actually, as we've seen more recently, is actually 
um, more and more CISOs are, don't want to be the scapegoat officer. They don't want to be the ones who are going to jail and all that kind of stuff. I won't talk about um, if people are going to jail time, rightfully wrong. I'm just saying that we're not protected under cyber liability insurance, most cases, and we mm. have to be that much more watchful than we were before. Wow. Interesting. Fascinating. Fascinating. What a, what a complex and challenging time. And hopefully you've managed to catch up on your sleep for a little since then. Just a bit. <laughs> um, thank you. And on, on to a little bit about the present, and this is something you touched on earlier. Um, I've heard you speak really passionately about mentorship. Uh, what has it given you, both as a recipient um, and a provider, and why do you feel it's so important? Well, I think one of the things is that it keeps you on your toes. I would just say when, you, when you're mentoring somebody, I think you have a traditional responsibility to try and make sure that you're, you're, you're doing it yourself. Walk the walk, talk to dog. Um, I would just tell people when I am not being the best on my vegan diet, when I'm being a better jacantarian than I am a vegetarian mm. um, or vegan, not the best time for me to go ahead and, and to, to go ahead and tell somebody how to, to be doing that. Um, yeah. It keeps you on your toes. If I'm actually going ahead and telling somebody how to structure their day, how to be resilient, how to know when to walk away from a bad situation, how to go ahead and spin out of a bad job that's not right fit for you and all that kind of stuff. I have to lead by example, and people do know that about me. I'm wholehearted, yeah. authentic, and I'm not afraid to walk away from bad situations. I'll try mm. and fix it if I can, but if people really are not receptive for, for me being a CISO or a cybersecurity strategist, which I do a lot of cybersecurity as you work, mm. it's okay to walk away. And I think that's very important for, for people to know do, life is too short to stay in a bad situation. Yeah. And the company really is not giving you support that you need to be a very effective CISO or a strategist, something like that, it's okay. Mm. Um, Absolutely. And I know you hear more of us talking that way, but I've been talking that way for years. Um, think enough about yourself that you need to get with a better tribe or people who will listen to you. Don't put yourself mm. into that type of negative situation. I, and I think by leading my example that way is because I've had mentors ahead of me who at the same time when they're like, hey, you know what? You know, you spun out of this in, in four months and all that kind of stuff like that. You know, you knew it was bad from, you know, week two. Um, that happened to be forward to me in my career as well, too. And the good thing that's been happening in the last 18 months, there's more people who are talking about it versus yeah. closing the store. And so that's the one thing I think it's really negative anywhere in your life is people think they're on an island. We'll just talk about mental health really briefly. A lot of times people are having a hard time mm-hmm. in, in different struggles in their life is because they think that they're the only one in the world yeah that and i'm not negating it but if you know that other people have had to deal with it and and there was light of some sort at the other end side that's important for people to know to to, to know that you know there's people out there who can love them and help them through the situation and and there can be a a better tomorrow than was than there is today yeah i think that we need to talk about and be a lot more transparent in in our field as well too you get hit knocks. The other thing I do think is I think apologies are really big. I don't hear enough um, yeah. leaders apologizing. I don't hear enough leaders saying, you know what? My bad. I fell short. And this is yeah. how I'll be better. And, and hopefully there's a newer crop of us who are like, you know, we'll be transparent. We'll be wholehearted. We'll be Brene, Brene Brown fans. I think Brene Brown stole all her books from me. I tease people about that. Me and thousands of other people who think like yeah. us. That's how she bases mm-hmm. her research. But I think that fruition changes needs to be able to change. I think you'll see companies grow a lot better. They get better at the human and quit worrying about who's going to buy the end product. Let's build in our team, the humanistic 
side internally on, on our company and inside. I think that's our flux you're seeing right now. I think that's when you see the great layoffs. I think it's because you've seen companies that, you know, we went from 500 people to 1,000, we went from 100 people to 1,000 people, went hyper growth very quickly because we want to have a viable product, but, you know, who cares what we do to our people inside? Yeah. I yeah, think thank you. That, yeah. That's, that's the retention problem you're seeing right now. And I'm saying it's about time, to be honest with you. Fascinating. Fascinating. Thank you. Thank you. So if I, if I understood correctly, I think as a as a mentor, you were saying that it forces you to hold yourself to a start higher standard. And um, and as a mentee, you can relate. You can understand how somebody else has faced a difficult situation and maybe uh, appreciate that, that you're not alone in, in, in facing some of the uh, some of the difficulties of cha- or challenges that you um, that you face. Interesting. Very interesting. Thank you. Thank you. And and how do you describe your so following on from that piece on, on you, you started to talk about leadership. How do you describe your leadership style? What's interesting, I have two facets, right? I tell people I have a hard job and I got to get her done. Mm. So the one thing is, is I like to hire people who are strongly analytical. Mm. Um, we're going to get to root cause analysis of a situation. I tell people at the end of the day, people hire me, generally speaking, because they don't want the bad guys to come in. And if the bad guys do come in, how can you very quickly switch to a trust officer to go ahead and talk to our clients, talk to outfield, outside companies out there that they should still do business with us? And so I said, I still have to have those hats that I have to wear. So, so, there's, so it's two, four. One, getting the work done that way. Two, try and train um, people up to know how they're doing their job. The big lacking I'm seeing right now is people not knowing how to do their job. That's the one problem mm-hmm. that we have with tools is that people think the tools do the job. No, you, you still have to be able to look at the data, understand the data. You still have to look at the white space and data. What I mean about everything is set up on, on some sort of rule sets. And then what is the stuff that's coming in between? And I'll give you an example. I, I originally was talking to a company and, and I started looking through, you know, all their code reviews and things like that. And I'm like, there's like 2000 vulnerabilities are found in the code. What's the, so what? Are they an issue or are they not an issue? What's the blast radius? What's happening? And you're like, but, we, we ran X tool and it flagged it. Yeah. And then what we did is we set a trigger event that went over to, you know, the service desk area to a ticket. And then I'm like, you know, there's 2,000, 3,000 unassigned tickets. Wow. Okay. But what was the, so- but I ran the tool and it found yeah, something yeah. And, and, I, and it triggered to the event. Guys, but the issue is, can we be attacked? Has it been exploited? What's the blast radius? Is it within the enterprise risk tolerance? Is there risk exceptions for that? Do we know what's going on? That thinking part is what I consistently, whether it's a small company to a large company, keeps dropping through. That's why I'm a licensed pen tester myself too. Oh, really? Um, wow. It's very, very hands-on as well, right? Yeah, I, I'm one of those people, and that's the thing is, I tell people I'm one of those people that if I don't, if your architecture diagrams don't make any sense to me, I will go ahead and ask for the firewall config file, and then I'll grab a whiteboard and I start drawing out the map. That's how I learned, right? That's why I learned yeah, right. to do too. Those innate skill sets, maybe it's because I'm also a math lead. I was a math lead in high school as well too, but I'm like, those, how to figure it out? What is it at the root? What does it really mean? Does this document really make sense? Do we follow this way? Should we be doing it this way, mapping out? That's critically missing. And I've been in too many times, again, when, I, when I'm trying to talk to the executive board, I'm trying to talk to CTOs, yeah. guys, I don't know your blast radius. And if I'm looking at this all the information, I can't find out the blast radius, you have an issue. Mm. What I mean by blast radius is when, it's not if, it's when. 
those yeah. bad things come in, what systems and spidering can happen in the environment, mm. that's flash radius. And I would tell you time and time again, doesn't matter if you're small or large, that should scare you not knowing your blast radius. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Thank you. Thank you. And, and you're a privacy expert, uh, alongside being a CISO. How do you see the concept and the practical application of privacy evolving in this data-driven society? Well, the biggest, I would say one of the biggest problems, I think, with data privacy as a whole. One, you know, I would say in the United States, United States needs one privacy regulation rule all. You know, we really have five states who really adopted strong, um, you know, um, privacy measures. Um, you know, um, mainly everyone talks about California, but they're not the only one along those lines too. But I can't have, you know, I can't have 50 of them, right? Mm -hmm. When you talk about European Union, right, that GDPR, at least you guys went ahead and, and you joined together. But the biggest problem on it, and again, you have Singapore and you have Australia, and we can go on and on across, across the world on how many privacy regulations, right? Do we need 300 of them? But, the, the, but at the end of the day, what's happening is that when data is actually being created, it's not tagged. Mm. What is that data? Does it have sensitive information? Again, you had the thing, not only sensitive information today, but of tomorrow. So mm. the biggest thing is it's not tagging it. Mm. If information was tagged and had an expiration key associated with it, like you can with an email or a text mm. message, right? If you use Signal or something like that, I usually don't use brand, but Signal is one that comes to mind where you can sit there and set an expiration date. If we could take information with those expiration dates and, and what type of level of privacy on them, we could expire them off. Right now, data is created until we hope and pray that someone expires it. I tell people, I would rather have every piece of data that's created have an expiration timeframe. So if you're talking about healthcare, is it seven years, is it 10 years? Depends on how you wanna look at it. But if you went ahead and you said, you know what, it's created on this day and it will absolutely expire in seven years. Those mm -hmm. are times I think more holistically will help us. And when we look mm -hmm. at the Facebooks and all these other people who are even with GDPR and you put all these fines and stuff like that, one thing is, is that it's tagging the data. The other thing is, is that once that data is actually created somewhere, mm. how are you going to go ahead in your environment be able to tell that no one create, no one wrote it in an email, no one wrote it in a spreadsheet, no one stored it off someplace. Yeah. It's not only about did you go ahead and forget that person's name and number and all that other kind of stuff like that it might be in your database, but they want it anywhere in your company whatsoever. And I'm like, now you're trying to please, is it 10 people you're policing? Depends how many employees you have, 100,000 people? Mm. People, how many people are going to do it? That's the problem with it. It's the trying to, to think that you're going to be able to follow that spiraling of the data wherever is a problem yeah. unless you can embed some sort of privacy key and each piece of data. If you did wow. that, almost like a almost like a GPS signal, you could see everywhere that bad data went, just like you can in some emails and SMS right now. Mm. Go ahead and follow that, and then you can expire it off. You also could see then if that data went to someone it's not supposed to go and expire it off. That's the one thing I, I do think that some of the technology has to get to if we really want to get a, really a true handle on privacy. Mm. There now with smart cities and stuff like that. You're getting tagged. I tell you, one of the biggest scary things right now is when people are looking at really funny. I want to talk about the company, but when you're talking about the avatars and stuff like that, you upload 23 of your pictures, so you can have a funny avatar. Now your biometrics is out there as well too. So people aren't thinking holistically um, about where their data is going. It's really hard to be um, invisible in in the world today. And even if I'm not on some of these other social medias. 
But if someone takes my picture, someone tags me, now I'm in there anyway, right? Or yeah, they go yeah. in there commingling their data with other people's data. And so I'm in there. So if I could expire that off, um, I do pay for a service that actually tries to get me off of a lot of all these mailing lists and stuff like that too. But I tell people, why? Why shouldn't I have to, why shouldn't I opt in in the time I need to opt in? Right. Why I just permanently opt out and never be even in those Where steps? is your data? Yeah, interesting. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Some really good insights on, on, on privacy and where the game, where the game is shifting to or needs to shift to. Thank you. Thank you. And I think Harry's got some questions on, on one of our, our key topics for, for this. Week. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Rebecca. I mean, those are some really thought-provoking answers. Um, one of the questions we've got is, um, obviously, as Jake mentioned, a key topic that matters for us, um, and that's security analytics. I mean, security analytics is is part of the market that we work in and follow very closely. I know you're very much a, a specialist within that area yourself as well. Um, we're really interested to, to see you've spoken on the topic of AI for threat detection recently. Um, artificial intelligence is often kind of thought of as the bedrock of modern threat detection. You think it really is the cure-all that many claim? No. <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't say And one thing people think of artificial intelligence, remember, they came back, that's back in the 1950s. It's not new, right? And when you look at machine learning, it's really about 1960. You can shift those dates a little bit depending on when you're looking at it, but we're looking at a new evolving to the next level of AI with machine learning. And people like to tie those two together. I say machine learning, AI, couple work hand um, together. I talk about machine learning, really think about it. I, ML, think of it more like memory loss, right? How can I go ahead and do some of those repetitive tasks and stuff like that that I'll forget to do compared to artificial intelligence on really thinking about what are, you know, behind the scenes, those correlations and things along those lines. Just a very simple, extremely simple to keep those two separate. AI is not machine learning. Machine learning is not AI, but they do go ahead and couple together. When we go ahead and we've looked about how we can make all these data lakes, that's the other problem we talk about data. Data is more than rabbits, has babies upon babies upon babies upon babies and upon babies. And you don't believe that, look at your personal area network. Maybe a few years ago it was three. I think right now, probably around my personal area network is about 18 different devices. All those devices have data and they talk to each other. That's before you actually talking about all the logs and stuff like that that might go on your computer systems, things like that. What we do is we keep creating more and more bigger lakes with all of this, this data. Great. Now you're going ahead and you're trying to find all those correlations between the data. I would tell people if you're going to have any type of SIM or XDR, whatever, the plethora of choice that you're going to have, Garbage in is still garbage out. You have to be able to send things more clean data. What's really important? And I give an example. I actually talked to a company the other day and they're like, we have all these events. And I'm like, okay, but what are the events? Oh, well, well, one of the things I looked at is, you know, they were spending 80 human hours a month to do analysis because when a person flew pod their, their the password or the biometrics to get onto the laptop systems three times, it locked them out. Mm. I'm like, okay, that's what the control was set to do. Why, why are you investigating <laughs> investigating that? You know, the correlation mm. is if someone kept trying to get into Rebecca's system, um, unfortunately I do work 24 seven at times, but if, 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 you know, all of a sudden it shows that I'm trying to do that from Greece and you know that I'm not in Greece right now. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's those anomalies, but a lot of times humans have to think about what is the normal baseline? And one thing I find over and over again, especially when I do go on, I've done like 18 threat, um, federal um, forensic cases with companies working with legal firms, is when I look at that, 
people can be lazy. So if you go ahead and hit things and anything's in business mode, which means is I just kind of look and see what's kind of normal baseline. You know what? I don't want to deal with it. I'm going to accept it all. And I recently had a company do this. I'm like, guys, here's a bunch of events. I look back to the past year, none of your events have ever been closed up on your, on your SIM mm. at all. Your security posture goes ahead. And so it says on your control, you're here. I literally had the CTO go, well, why don't we, we'll just go ahead and close them all and say it's all okay. And then we'll just see anything screens and goes forward. Well, then when I was researching the company, they've done that time and time and time again, right? Wow. You don't have things anymore that are sleepers, right? You need to be able to mm. evaluate things along those lines, but just to accept everything that it must be okay. I'm seeing a big trend um, in some startups, hyper growth, the smart companies doing that. Part of it too is when we talk about workforce and stuff along those lines, is having high turnover rates and stuff like that. The next people come in, I don't want to deal with all these events. I want things like that. So I'm just going to accept it's okay. Well, part of the thing is AI, machine learning, things like this on all these events. It's learning from you. You're telling it what's normal traffic. Yeah. Wow. I think big warning. And you know, it doesn't surprise me when I do go ahead and I see a lot of these companies getting hit and nailed. All you have to do is go there and sleep. Someone's going to go ahead and accept you as normal traffic. And unfortunately... You know, that is unfortunately right now more common at times than uncommon. I, I think that's really scary. So yeah. AI machine learning is there as a tool. It's there to augment your staff. Your staff still needs to know how to think, look through things, analyze things. Yes, AI goes ahead. Maybe I don't need 25 analysts anymore. Maybe I do one, but getting crunched for the numbers. Mm, yeah. That is bad data. Just because lakes are cheaper, you still have to look and see what data goes in there to go ahead and do those correlations. That thinking again, getting back, known, documented, implemented, measured, and managed. Again, measured and managed is what's lacking. Also, I think that's the other thing when you see that people aren't being good fiduciaries with their budgets mm-hmm. because they're going ahead and, and spending money, not looking at to spend. I, I see that especially with the, with the lower end um, clients quite a bit. But I mean, lower end, I mean, the younger clients and clients that might be there from a year to 20 years in business. You don't see that as much if, if company's been there for 100, 160 years. Um, yeah. But you do do say that, and we have a bulk of it. More companies are very younger. But hopefully, to answer your question, yeah, so it is a tool. It is not the end all to be all. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's fascinating. That's that's super enlightening. I think as, as you know, I think it could be confusing to separate things like AI and machine learning, and, and you explained it in a way that's really, really clear. And it's really, really thought provoking. Um, now to cover another core topic, and, and that's diversity. Um, as a woman and a leader in information security, where women are significantly underrepresented, um, what are some of the challenges you feel you've had to overcome? <laughs> well, consistent. I would say there's, there's some great guys out there. I've met some, some great guys out there. I've met some great women out there. I've met some bad guys out there. I've met some bad women out there. Um, I've had, um, I would tell you, luckily I haven't had too many bad women above me, but I have had a bunch of bad women underneath me, um, before who self-sabotage, sabotage you that way. I think that's the one thing, um, that I have seen is that if you go ahead and you have a woman come in as a leader, you should really look at how you can support that leader to the best of your ability to actually, mm-hmm. up. I've seen more women actually, um, combustion leaders. And when I, behind the scenes, when I go ahead and talk to other female sisters and all this stuff, it's literally having a, certain women on the staff who who they have a bigger challenge with than actually to have the men on the staff. Um, fortunately, but when you ask me for the pattern, and, and I have been talking with quite a bunch of people, as you guys know, I do writing and stuff like that. That's what we've yeah. seen. 
have been along those lines. I think at times when we have diversity and stuff like that, you do have women because people are trying to meet a quota and the people are not technical. Um, they don't have a business background, things like that. And then people are like, well, we want to fill this position. So we'll give it to this, this woman. And they don't have the qualifications for that role. I recently had seen that in, a, in a, an associate director, director role where a person's like, they're not technical. They're a little bit GRC. Let's move them from um, GRC. Let's expand them to the service desk. Let's let them handle budget and all stuff. They didn't have the background um, mm. to do that type of stuff. And, and it wasn't to their niche. And it's like, well, this wants to be a CISO. Well, listen to my talk. Don't aspire to be a CISO. Aspire to be the best cybersecurity professional you can be in the areas that are your strengths. And if it leads you to be a CISO, great. If it leads you to be a security architect, great. If it leads you to go ahead and be a field CISO, great. If it leads you to be an analyst, great. If it leads you to, to leave the field and be in, in data science and be a, a great person who, who can go ahead and support security, that's great too. But don't aspire to a title. And don't move a woman or anyone else into a position because you're trying to meet a quota. That's yeah. what it drives me nuts. I've been one of those people who I've actually taken twice in my career where people who were administrative assistants and I realized and I looked at how they analyze stuff, how they organize their thought processes and stuff like that. I'm like, and they were looking for their next career step. I'm like, you're a natural project manager. Mm. And then that person is a strong project manager. And our person like, whoa, you know, you are very, very strong vulnerability analyst. And so both of them now are, are managers in roles in different areas. But a lot wow. of times you can see what are those innate core sets that are innate to you. I tell people it's not only the Venn diagram, so Venn diagram, B-E-N-N, about who you are humanistic as a person, but what you might like about security and privacy along those lines. But I don't like people, get back to your original question, is putting a woman in a role solely because she's a woman um, yeah. the other thing when you talk about the other side is for me, I get this all the time. You're not, you're too much strategic. You're not technical enough. You're too technical. You're not strategic enough. You're too operational. You're not technical enough. You're too, my male counterparts don't get that. Um, one thing it, when you talk about, you have to be bigger and better than everybody else. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, still holistically, it can be. The guys would get the grace and they would get the forgiveness and stuff like that. You might not as a woman. The other thing is too, because it is still very strong male technical. Again, I'm technical, um, probably more leaning towards the guy side thinking than the female side of thinking as a holistic. But the, the one thing that, that people forget along those lines too is that we think differently. We process things different. We will innately come from a little bit from an emotional or human's pers perspective compared to a pure engineering. As you guys know, I was a chem major, you know, mm -hmm. quantum physics, all that other kind of stuff is me. I come from very strong engineering, but I do have that strong humanistic side. You need to have people on the team from a technical who's going to have a humanistic side as well to them. I think having that innate and the leaders who I talked and mentioned earlier, um, and then like even my professional mentor, Darla, um, who's very strong operational, they have the STEM background, they have the operational background, they have a humanistic background. Having that innately with your male or female should do you well. Um, so I know that's a little bit long yeah. that way, but I think it needs to balance. But please do not go ahead. Again, if you have a great job and you want to pay me a lot of money because I'm a female, sure, give me a call. 
see me on LinkedIn. If you want me to advise you to that, yeah. But I would say don't move a woman though into a, a slot role, into a social director, director role over, you know, governance and IT and all that other kind of stuff solely because, you know, we hope and pray it's going to be okay. Mm. But may, um, a gentleman over into that role, hope and pray it's going to be okay. Hope and pray it's going to be okay should never be your framework with anything. And I'm right. going to do a checkbox quota for DEI. To me, should never go ahead and be that. People know front talk. I hate checkbox security, compliance, governance, risk. I hate checkbox DEI to have checkbox DEI. And it should be more about holistic and thinking and thinking yep. differently than, than, you know, what's your height, your weight, your color, your skin, all that kind of stuff like that. I think also we need to think about do people think and process information differently? And because they think and process information differently, that's also diversity that we need to have on our team. Mm. Fantastic. Awesome. Yeah, no, th thanks. Thanks for your thoughts, Dads. Really, really appreciate that. Um, now it's time to bring it back to you and let our listeners learn a little, a little bit more about you outside of work. Um, I'm keen to understand what would be your perfect weekend. Well, generally, my first weekend is actually binge watching something that's a murder mystery or something like that. Nice. Henry. But I actually play trombone. Um, I play trombone acting for cool. groups. I play um, Scottsdale Philharmonic. Um, Scottsdale concert band, wow. Scottsdale jazz band, and Latin jazz band. So you always find me yeah. in my trombone. One of the things about being a trombone player, if you want to really get messed up in your head a little bit, you think about how much I can be um, thinking multifashionally. Trombone has a slide that's a long tuning slide. So we're always constantly yeah. doing a tuning. So I'm moving my slide front to back, right? Mm. I'm reading music from left to right. Yeah. They're Conducting from right to left. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh Tonight, yes. Thank you very much. So I'm a bit crazy. Just, just yeah. Yeah. That's you funny. take a vertical tablet before you do that. But one of the things is by <laughs> doing that, it actually helps center, right? It's also based on math, but it, it helps get me a little bit away from from work, thinking along those lines. And I guarantee you that if I'm playing in those groups, all those groups are professional groups I play with, they'll go quit thinking about work. Um. Mm really hard to be focused on the music so to learn about stay focused stay in the moment yeah yeah what's coming ahead be prepared commit go for it make that mm. final investment i think people who are well in musicians are really well positioned to be in our field wow yeah um, and then i also i also take photography quite a bit and i also try and be forward. you'll find me doing a lot of photography you'll find me going ahead where i will listen where someone might have a, a great picture of Maybe it's the mom and their dad or them, and and I know they're very ill. I will be somebody who goes ahead and makes them a, a special artist picture uh, or something like that that can throw memory. If I nice. go through the day, I can and I can just brighten up someone's day because I grabbed it was on the bottom shelf for them and yeah. grab it and that caused them to smile. And I said, hey, thank you, I appreciate you today. And it that one moment might have been a ripple effect that kept them on the planet for the day. That's me yeah. Too. I've realized that I've also been in my life where I've, I've unfortunately been in situation or fortunately been in situations where I, I've stopped, I don't know, five or six different suicides now in my life, where I've just run into those uh -huh. people or um, another talk that I've had on there where I've just paid attention to where I knew something was right with the person and just gave them that moment saying, you're important. I see you. You're seen by me. Yeah. Pleasure to see you today. That one moment interaction if you can ever find out that you had that positive ripple effect or you can have that real true connection with the person where you saw that the day was crap and you just say, hey, have a great day today. And you just see that moment change. 
you don't realize how that could have a ripple effect on how they drove home. Yeah. They didn't have a car wreck because they actually were got out of their head and thinking about themselves. They had a positive interaction when they went home. Thinking along those lines about how I can be a better positive ripple effect in the world helps me. I also yeah. sure be kind at all points in time because it also reminds me that unfortunately I could be a negative ripple effect if I don't watch it as well too. So this yeah. is about being more aware on, on what's going on with you. Those are the type of things that energize me on the weekends. Yeah. So, Am I breathing? Did I make my bed? Did I do something positive for myself today? But yeah. really, did I do something positive that tried to go ahead and help the planet out or another human being out? That's yeah. what energizes me day in, day out. And play trombone, yes. Yeah. Also, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a fantastic answer. I could, I could definitely, I could definitely, I, I could trouble to understand how you could fit all of that in, in a whole week. But, but no, that, that's amazing. It's great to hear. Um, our guest final question, um, it's always the same. And that is what one piece of advice would you give to someone entering the industry? Well, follow your heart. That's the one thing is, is don't, don't come into the industry because you think it's a cool thing because you watched an episode of Mr. Robot. If you didn't watch you know, season one, episode one, I tell people to watch that. I don't watch anything. I didn't really care for anything beyond it, but that one was good. But make sure that you get into it for the right reason. Life is too short not to be doing what you really, really, really true love. So mm -hmm. the one things that I, you know, around the world, you have to change a little bit. But if, if the most money you could ever make, regardless of what you did, regardless, you're going to get paid $70,000. Whatever the job is, you're going to get paid $70,000. You might say it's $100,000. doesn't matter what the money is. But it doesn't matter if you're running a country or it, whatever you're doing, you're going to get that amount of money. Everybody gets paid the same amount. Mm. What would you really be doing? That's what you need to do. I'm in security, privacy, enterprise, risk, all that stuff because I love it. I love it every point in the day. I play trombone, do photography and all that kind of stuff because it's another creative outlet for me. It gives me a break. I don't do them full time because I don't want to do them full time. Yeah. Because it's my love. Follow your love, and yeah. you're okay. Don't ever follow the money. And the Absolutely. other thing, these walk away from bad situations. Walk away from bad bosses if you can't get away from. Them. Walk away from bad businesses. Do not. If you go ahead and you see your resilience is down, yeah. you, if you wake up every morning hating to go to that work, hating to that job, thinking that it's going to get better the next day, next day, next day, it doesn't. Love yourself enough. You matter. Yeah, absolutely. Plan your exit strategy sooner than later. That's the one thing I've stayed in careers or stayed with companies or stayed with, with groups, even, you know, when you talk about personal um, groups that you might play with or something like that, when it really, you know what? It was a struggle to be there. Yeah. You matter. You matter. Put yourself absolutely. in a to walk away. The world would be kind to you as you're kind Good to advice. Yeah. Walk yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Dr. Wynn. Um, it's great to hear some helpful advice um, on following your heart. So yeah, great to hear all your thoughts and insights. A real pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate being here. Follow me on LinkedIn to hear more tidbits and my heart and soul and keep me honest. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and give us a rating. It really helps these stories to be found and enjoyed by more people. For more information about NUCO, we can be found at www.nuco-group.com. 
That's N-E-U-C-O hyphen group dot com.